This podcast is a proud member of the That Moment In Podcast Network. Check out the network at thatmomentin.com. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the Asian Cinema Film Club, but more importantly, it's Kaiju Christmas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that happiest time of the year is here once again as we take a look through the wonderful world of Kaiju and put our viewing fate in the hands of you, our dear listener. And this time you've decided for us to go and watch 1961's Mofra. But before we obviously get on to our feature presentation, I think it's obviously... Just time to obviously ask what you've been watching, if anything, Stephen. I mean, it's obviously a very short period because we're in some sort of turbulent times here in the UK, it's safe to say, because we had a, a election as of last night with us recording that could have gone better, should we say. And, you know, it's kind of put everyone on a bit of a down streak, unless you happen to be like a banker or rich or public schoolboy or just hate everyone who's not white but uh, or, or, or apparently from the midlands or the north of england which is yeah. <laughs> a, bit, a bit odd or apparently just think that the only thing that you need your electoral leader to say is gonna get brexit done gonna get yeah. brexit done as yeah. that's all we've heard from him well before he went and hid in a fridge always good to have a fearless leader up front <laughs> but um yes yeah, i mean it's obviously we're coming this end brings us to the end of another year obviously with Kaiju Christmas and I mean have you been sort of like managed to work in anything any sort of like last minute watches before the end of the year or is it now just a case of what you're going to watch on next year's sort of slate um well yeah because uh, what 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 comes this time of year is is a lot of busyness so you know now the election's over we've got to get on with Christmas haven't we and all the family stuff gets on and then we all have our little films our little um things that we like to do at Christmas. I don't know if you're the same, but uh, I, I have a couple of films I always go to, one Asian, one not Asian, that I, that I like to fit in, which then interferes with the general watching. But uh, for me, it's it's not Christmas if I haven't um, if I haven't watched It's a Wonderful Life, which I know is a bit cliche, but I do love that film. Mm. Although I was talking to some colleagues at work about it, and I realised both my two favourite Christmas movies proper Christmas movies, which are It's a Wonderful Life and, and I will maintain this, Gremlins, are both incredibly dark. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, um, it's a film I put in my uh, top, in our top 50 when we did that um, film called Windstruck, which is a film I always go back to around Christmas time because it has one moment that happens in Christmas. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and then the rest of me... Um, in fact, I'm not even sure that's true. I think it's just got it just resonates with me at, at Christmas time. Well, I mean, you can always add but, your yeah. Tokyo Godfathers to your yearly watching well, now, can't you? Because that was that was surprisingly this, this festive. Is true, it it, it was a very, very and very Christian festive as well. Um, that was a, that yeah, that was a little treat, wasn't it? That was a, that was an unexpected treat. I've got to be honest with you. And uh, I mean, I'm just obviously looking through the. So the the top twenty five lists that have come out, and I'm, I mean I'm just completely way behind when it comes to what's coming out. I mean obviously Parasite is not only sort of resonated with fans of Korean cinema, but now it's got that sort of crossover appeal as we've got uh, the director obviously appearing on Jimmy Fallon recently. Jimmy Fallon mm. 
proclaiming it one of his favourite films of the year. And certainly when we look at the end polls for the years, it's not just, you know, fans of Asian cinema, it's a lot of mainstream uh, film critics as well, which are putting it up there. And we're seeing lots of numbers like one, twos, and Roundup uh, put it in at number two. So it's a film that certainly I'm very excited to obviously see when it gets some sort of home release, because at the moment the distribution's not happening down this way for sure. No, I, I mean, it's interesting. So so I have a review copy, but I haven't watched it yet. Um, I don't know why, because I'm a big fan of the director. But like you say, um, so my old uh, my old editor over at easternkicks.com got to interview Sang Kong Ho yesterday because he was over um, promoting it, which can only be a good thing, I think, uh, making us all very jealous with his photo and signed Falking DVD. And um, and then in my in my other night shift job, uh, editing the in their own league podcast um, everyone on there was like you know what films do you want to watch well in other news you've got to watch Parasite and I'm thinking great I'm the meant to be the Asian cinema guy and I haven't seen it <laughs> but uh, yeah I, I'm looking forward to I mean I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of, of the director um, and uh, I probably think he's my favourite Korean director okay. film for film he hasn't made that, me- that many but um, I think I've pretty much enjoyed them all for myself i'm still sort of out on on where i sort of stand with his work i mean everyone loved the host i didn't really get it the same as everyone else apparently did at the same time i loved snowspiercer which finally got a release here in the uk thanks to netflix uh finally sorting that one out so thanks to them because i mean that one's been in distribution limbo for years so i don't think it's been so funny when you like post over on German's Guy for Midnight Cinema and like other film groups, and it's like, oh, finally going to get to watch Netflix, and like you guys haven't had Netf- uh, haven't had Snowpiercer, and it's like, it's like, no. no, the only way for us to get it was on a German Blu-ray, um, bizarrely, which is how I got it. I mean, I saw it out in Hong Kong. I had no idea I was going to have a special treat <laughs> watching that and not being able to see it over in in, in the UK. I mean, my favourite film of his is probably Mother. Which is a film I feel I may be bringing to the um, to the show in uh, 2020 to maybe uh, have a parasite special, and I'll bring you another one of his films. Certainly, I mean, there's certainly the other film which I really enjoyed this year, which failed to make any sort of dent on the uh, critic shortlist, was *The Wandering Earth*, which outgrossed uh, *The Avengers* in its native Hong Kong. Really fantastic film. I absolutely enjoyed it. Uh, obviously, it's like armageddon but uh rather than just the what the one saving the many it was more the many saving the uh saving everyone approach which i think may have been the reason it didn't resonate with uh with sort of british or british and american audiences so much i think we're sort of used to that heroic lone hero stance rather than the sort of team effort uh, but it was a shame. I mean, it was a very glossy, high-budget affair, and for some reason, it just never sort of uh, rung home. And I was fully expecting it to be like this sort of film that really took off, especially as it had the Netflix distribution as well behind it. So obviously, had the ease of access there. But sadly, it's uh, one that seems to just sunk under the radar. So yeah, I, I never got round to watching it, but I got around to big Chinese films like that just don't appeal to me at all um, I, mean, I guess the film I think it was from this year I'm trying to think I, I really enjoyed um, Stephen Chow's new 
film, the new King of Comedy, which he doesn't appear in, he just directs. I, I've had enough of that film. But again, I don't think many others did. <laughs> I think I think I think I was alone in that. But I thought it was a I thought it was a special piece of work. But um, obviously, we're out of Apparently touch. Apparently, so I mean, certainly. <clears throat> Two films which um, have also appeared on the list, which I'm really hoping to catch in the new year. First would be The Gangster, The Cop and The Devil by Lee Wontae, a South Korean thriller. And I think it's one that's uh, sort of... We've seen the trailers come through, but surprisingly we've had no sort of news on the distribution for that one. Also sneaking under the radar is uh, First Love by Takashi Miike, which, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised the fact that Takashi Miike film has sort of snuck out. I mean, he's just still producing them en masse. He's got his own... I think he puts out more films than James Patterson puts out crime novels, really. The fact he's still doing it, you know, it was one thing when we used to talk about it in his days of V, v-, v- cinema, you know, and, and, and the numbers always bumped up. No, we talked about his outlaw period. His 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 output was prodigious, and just after that, but a lot of that was sort of straight to video stuff. But now, even though he's clearly operating at the quite often in the mainstream, he's still chucking out two or three films a year. It's his his output is still oh. prodigious, and even though our other friend Mr. Sono keeps trying to catch <laughs> up, he he never will. <laughs> I said, first love, I mean, just reading Asian movie pulses, sort of synopsis of it, I mean, they described it as a character-rich story, in fact, a crescendo of action to a climax in a locked hardware department store in the heart of Knife, a perfect laboratory place for a showdown composed by many peekaboos between the deserted aisles and a display of mortar tools and thugs, including a couple of katanas, one-armed Chinese assassin and a pump-action shotgun, leg cramps, bulletproof vest trickery, and beautifully animated transition. That sounds like my sort of film, really. It's sort of just a real checklist of things I want. It does. It does. It does. It does sound like <laughs> Elwood's movie generator has come up trumps. So, so it just—I think this is the this is the thing now. Maybe I just need like shopping lists of films. It's all like, like Bo, Joe Bob Briggs does with his like a uh, little breakdowns, and he's sort of like, oh, this film features you know chair foo, slack foo, bunny foo, <laughs> breasts, and gore, and nudity, and just like give me a checklist. And when you send me a film, I don't need synopsis. I just need checklists now. And then we'd see, like, oh, it hits all these tropes I like. Like, uh, you know, emergencies in labs, people running down hallways while sirens blare. You know, those sorts of simple sort of tropes that are fun to see in films. If you got, if you hit these sort of marks, then I will give your film a look. So It's all done in tags, right? <laughs> Where Stephen will be, must be over three hours, have the word mel- <laughs> melodrama, so in your description. Well, no, no. Well, not usually over three hours. I like them a bit shorter than that. But yeah, I I I I like something that makes me think, whereas you like something that makes you feel. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so this certainly looking obviously what's going to be coming out because this is the problem when you have films that have coming out of stateside and then they come over here. So. They feel like 2020 releases, but they're actually 2019. So, suddenly looking at the what's coming up list, um, it's a it's almost like a shopping list of what to look forward to in the in the coming year, really. And the fact that films are distributed in so many different ways now, or be it for the different streaming platforms, be it for physical media, or just what's happening on the festival circuit, it's no longer just the case of you have one sort of release date for anything anymore. So. It's uh, sometimes a bit hard to track where you sort of classify films on the old release uh, schedule, but 
I would say there's still plenty to look forward to in 2020. There is every year, I guess. Um, that that's that's the beauty of the. You know, we're we're looking at film industry in China, in Hong Kong, in Thailand, in um, uh, Taiwan, um, and and we, you know, we spoke last time. You know, we haven't even talked about films from Singapore or from Malaysia, or you know, even if there's nothing out from from one of the main territories, we we'd always better pick other things up. Um, I was just trying to think: is there anything that um, that you haven't already mentioned? That I wish I uh, that I'm looking forward to, but I I can't mm. think really. You've caught me. <laughs> Certainly on the mainstream release, I really want to see the farewell still with uh, Aquafina. Oh oh my god, yeah. I mean that is that's my film of the year so far. Um, I got hold of a copy, but it had no English subs, so I was like, what the hell? Yeah, it just... most it's mostly a Mandarin. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 it's. And it's questionable whether it's a Western film or, or a Chinese film. Um, I mean, the director, she's a, she's a Chinese-American, but very much, you know, the film does take place in, in China and obviously with an all-Chinese cast, although some of them are American-Chinese or, in Aquafina's case, American-Chinese-Korean. But, uh, but it's, yeah, it's it's just a lovely... It's a Stephen movie. Um, it's, it's a lovely character piece um, that's both funny um, I was arguing with someone the other day who said they didn't think it was a comedy I think it got nominated for a load of Golden Globes but it's yeah. a comedy and they said it's not a comedy and I said really? <laughs> because although it's got very 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 maudlin subject matter and, and tears will be shed there's belly laughs aplenty um, so I can, I can and that's just how the Golden Globes do things quite famously don't they? But yes um, yes that 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 that's my film of the year, but I just don't think of it as an Asian film. However, it is absolutely an Asian film. <laughs> um, it's uh, as, as I said before. It's um, I think it was on this this podcast where I talked about when they, when when they were trying to make it. Initially, they wanted uh, the American backers wanted more white people in it, <laughs> and that well, that was a no no. And then the and then they got some Chinese money who said uh, no. Sorry, they yeah, I think the Chinese people wanted more white people in it as well, and they said no. <laughs> it's kind of that's not what this story is um but yeah i highly recommended and hopefully um hopefully you'll be able to get a copy with with the mandarin hopefully so um it this again i try to look it up on amazon but i don't know what it is with amazon anymore you can never seem to get a straight sort of idea of who's actually selling you the item now because you put you put in like a dvd and it come up and it feel like some fair party seller selling it rather than amazon so there is there is a bit of that on Amazon, yeah. I have a feeling that uh, 20, 2020 is going to be the year that I switch distribution. Perhaps maybe go over to like Zoom or something like that where I know who's actually supplying my my uh, disc. But I mean, certainly also if we're just talking about the home media, I mean, there's plenty still to look forward to in the home media. I mean, we've obviously got from Arrow, we've obviously got the uh, Gamera Collection is set to be released next year, which is obviously, we talked about in the last episode, and I think there's just general excitement after the Criterion Godzilla Collection for, uh, came out for more sort of kaiju releases over here in the UK. So, and hopefully, if we've obviously uh, been doing our our jobs right here, the uh, we should hopefully be seeing like Ultraman and Ultra Q releases as well if uh, Indigo Entertainment keep good of their promise and try and work on the Region 2 releases as well, so... Yeah, you're doing you're doing God's own work, aren't you? <laughs> Just sending a lot of harassing emails. That's what we're doing. But 
Just encourage you, uh, if you're obviously a fan of the Region 2 Kaiju fan, just keep on at these people. Just let them know the demand is there for these titles because the US have never had a problem getting the titles, but uh, we've always had this drought and it shouldn't be the case. And hopefully Criterion have seen the success of their their shower era collection and and choose to do the other eras do heisai and millennium um because i think it'd just be a really nice set just having three volumes of godzilla especially if they put as much work into the following volumes as uh they did into this this first one and hopefully keep them all the same size because i'd really hate for it just be a normal size dvd which follows after the big book thing they put up for spine 1000 so yeah, I, I I don't know. If, well, I guess I guess the Godzilla DVD, uh, the Godzilla Blu-ray that did did good business. It's gone. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's now unpurchasable. And uh, as I was saying to you off mic last time, um, I can't believe how much it's going for now in the second-hand market. I know that's a a common bugbear of yours. <laughs> about, Duh, <laughs> damn traders. Yeah, about the scalper market. But my. God, um, I mean, it was 150 UK pounds on release. Oh, that's a good price. That is, I saw 250 when I was checking earlier. So I've seen it from 390. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, <laughs> that's a that's a lot of money for um for I don't know what are they 60 year old films. It's <laughs> <laughs> not that, but. It's a, it is a nice set, but it's, I don't think it's worth that much money. It's I've not bought, worth scalper I've money. I've cars for less. <laughs> <laughs> Do they actually work, or are they like Flintstones? They work. They work, they, work, they they get me. They got me around better than um than a box of Blu-rays would. <laughs> <laughs> well, for a take me away. <laughs> I mean, I know we could get four of them and make wheels, but you know, we <laughs> probably get make. Make a pair of roller skates out of them, but uh, no, the car the car lasted longer than that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, certainly looking ahead to our own sort of year. I think we've talked already. There are certain sort of genres, and as you said already, countries that we haven't covered already. I mean, for my, I mean, just looking at the list. I mean, we've still got to do like Tsukamoto, which we keep saying we're going to do, but we just the mood never seems to be quite there so hopefully 2020 will be the year that we finally get that covered uh we've obviously got the likes of bruce lee jackie chan there's like anime titles like your name which i've still yet to watch so there's uh other the fact, also, the like fact there's an anime film i've seen and you haven't just shocks me but <laughs> <laughs> we could pretty much just fill the grand canyon with things i haven't seen at this point no no but in terms of i'm not the anime guy i even saw you name it your name at the cinema that's what's weird <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. There's this touchstone stuff, you know, like like you say, like Bruce Lee. We haven't looked at anything for Bruce Lee. We haven't done anything for Jackie Chan, and the guy's done about five million movies. Yeah, we've got years ahead of us. And every time we talk, I think, ah, I want to, I want to bring this one to the party. I want to bring this one to the party. And then there seems to be things that I don't know if we're scared. I mean, how long did it take us to look at Taylor Two Sisters? And I think we've probably been talking about that since we first started the podcast um so i think it's just if a title if a title's popular you kind of put it to the back of your mind Mm. whereas if something's like more obscure a little little rarity it tends to like shunt itself forward Mm. um i think it's it's it's, it kind of feels like in your mind that you know that these well-known titles that people have already 
talked about them, even if they haven't been widely discussed, as was the case of two or two sisters. I mean, it's certainly not like Audition or Battle Royale, uh, one of those titles that you know every podcast has covered. So it was good to finally cross it off off the list, certainly. And I mean, we obviously did Battle Royale for twenty five. I mean, it marked a land landmark episode for ourselves and it seemed rather fitting to do battle royale and it was certainly fun having emily on the show from uh, the feminine critique and daily dollhouse of horror nonsense to to talk about that uh film as well so yeah i mean um, and, and things like thirst which was on both of our lists and um of course we've got episode 50 are we coming up sooner than we thought <laughs> i know our, we've got with our 50. enhanced with our enhanced program that we've um we've embarked upon because we're also, I mean, as I said, every 25 episodes, uh, we add our next 50 onto our onto our best best of list. And we've obviously done our top 50 so far, so this next 50 is going to really be interesting because with that first 50, you essentially cross off all the sort of surface-level stuff, all the popular sort of stuff, and now we're going to start getting into the sort of like the more obscure, the more sort of niche uh, things, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see what comes up in that next 50. Uh, so that's obviously going to be coming up in the next few episodes. As you said, we've got episode 50, so um, that's going to be another landmark episode for ourselves, and I mean, it's been the fact that you folks out there have been supporting the show and and wanted us to put more episodes out. The fact that we switched from a monthly to a bi-weekly podcast, I think, has just been... We can only sort of thank you all for the uh, support and encouraging us to keep plugging away at this. Absolutely. Seconded. Just obviously looking at the list now, I mean, obviously this year's income is episodes 23 uh, through to obviously our current, current episodes. So it's been a really... I would say it's been a strong year for the films we've looked at. I think there's been a couple of... No titles that haven't quite hit home with one of us. I mean, certainly The Terrorizer stands out for myself as a kind of a bit of a misfire. And Dead or Alive, I think, again, was a film that was exciting for those set pieces. But at the same time, we kind of realized now that, you know, Takashi Miike is not just this sort of exciting new voice that's been thrust upon us like he was back in, like, 2001. The fact that he's now just sort of this household name for Asian cinema fans, it... It was kind of fun to go back and look at that sort of breakthrough film and just realise, you know, perhaps we were a little caught up in, like, what we were seeing at the time because it was so fresh and new and that perhaps there's certain elements of that film that don't stand out as well as I I personally thought they did originally. No, it was interesting because I'd only come to it fairly recently, but, like, effectively what was the second watch for both of us, um, it... it <sighs> It, it didn't resonate you know we still we still both enjoyed the opening we both enjoyed the end but then we realized it was a sandwich of nothing with some very posh bread around the outside um and i was just i was just I was just having a look through i mean i think obviously i brought the terrorizers to the table and, and you, that did not <laughs> it, it resonated but, with a lot of people in the facebook group yeah and it was, it was just different for myself i was like i'm just lost with this one so and and obviously I think I probably tried to shoot myself in the foot a couple of times. Did I choose um, anti-porno? You chose uh, anti-porno, even, even um, though I know, even though I knew I didn't like it, and I also choose World of Kanako, which, which I think is probably one of our better episodes. World of Kanako <laughs> was just a wonderful surprise. Yeah, uh, for this which year, is, which is um, which was interesting. You know, I chose it thinking I wouldn't. I, I knew I didn't like it, but maybe I did. But it was great that it. It ticked your boxes, 
but apart from that, I mean, I really enjoyed the episode we did with Tom, um, the Lone Wolf and Cub episode. I, mean, I don't think I, I took as much part in it because Tom was such a uh, such a sort of giving and fulsome guest, wasn't he? Um, but that was that was that was that was probably the highlight of the year. But we you know we've we've done we've hit some real classics this year. Um, you know, the Eye, the Bride with the White Hair, Castle Cagliostro. Yeah, we've done we've we've hit a bit of um, pseudo. Ghibli. Um, so yeah, I think it, I think this has been probably episode for episode our strongest year because I can only really think of the one film where one of us really didn't dig a, yeah. one of the films at all. I think I've always been able to dig it or find something, or if I haven't, it's my own fault for picking it. <laughs> I think the the big disappointment though for the year was episode thirty five uh, with the Forest of Love from Sion Sono. Oh, yes, I'd forgotten about that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, it was a Netflix exclusive. I mean, it's Sion Sono, and I've yet to go back and and watch it, but there was something missing with it, and I know there's people out there still sort of passing it over and say, like, it's like an analogy for filmmaking, and it sort of just didn't resonate uh, with myself. I mean, a lot like the BBC Critics' top world cinema choices uh, when we looked at that list. And <laughs> let's not, let's a, not even go there. <laughs> there was a lot of choices in that list, which, as we covered on that that bonus episode, it's all like, it's not the way we would have gone. No, um, I think I think I think Forest of Love, as we said at the time, felt like this is a showreel of Sion Sono. You know, we we could see. You know, we, we could list all oh, that. That's like that film he's done, or that's like that film he's done, and it was um, it felt like a well-made, yeah, a, a well-made showreel that he could say, "Hey, look, these are sort of this is the sort of film I make." And as with a lot of Sono films, it felt quite empty at the end. Um, you know, I have sat through over, you know, how long? Uh, what's that film he did that's like four hours long, or feels like twenty hours long? Um, and oh, uh, Love Exposure. Love Exposure, yeah. Love Exposure is a long film, but there's so much going on in it, and it's so enjoyable. Force of Love, I felt, was a long film that uh, it just gave me less and less as time went on. There are moments yeah. in it which are great, but I could have put you together two hours of clips from his films, and <laughs> we could have had more fun. <laughs> I know what you I mean. It was... <laughs> It it wasn't uh, really the sort of big surprise here. I mean, it certainly wasn't wasn't like the bullet vanishes, which was a wonderful surprise. I mean, the fact that nobody we, that film isn't as talked about as like Detective D, just still surprises me now. Um, as I I mean, I really enjoyed the bullet vanishes, and I know that because uh, that was the episode we had Kim on for uh, from obviously Tranquil Dreams and uh, my co-host over in Movies and Tea, so. That was uh, fun, obviously, getting to do the cross-branding with her. and I mean, that was, as I say, it was just uh, an episode that was brought completely blind to myself, and I was just su- surprised how much uh, I enjoyed that sort of Sherlock Holmes sort of vibe that it uh, had. But, yeah, I mean, it's just been just been a really good year. So, hopefully, as we go into 2020, we can sort of continue this winning streak with our uh, picks. So. We shall see. <laughs> we shall see starting next month, won't we? <laughs> exactly. So. No, no pressure. I would your pick. <laughs> it is as well. <laughs> got, my mind's going completely blank as to what we're going to be covering. I, I think I, I will figure it out. By the next I, 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 I remember what you said it was. So, <laughs> but I'll let you announce it in case you've changed your mind. 
okay, that's uh, fine. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, is there anything else of sort of like twenty nineteen related? So uh, it's sort of uh, films or anything that you really want to sort of uh, I, I, bring up? I, I don't think so. I'd like to see the back end of this year. To be honest with you, <laughs> I'm tired of twenty nineteen. I'm tired of. Of everything in the UK at the moment. <laughs> Let's have a fresh new year and see if things get better. Definitely so. Well, with that uh, note, I think it's obviously time to throw out the projector and move on to tonight's featured presentation, which of course is Mothra from 1961. Legendary kaiju director who, let's not forget, is responsible for giving us the original Godzilla as many as the as many as, as well as many of the key titles in the Toho kaiju universe. Uh, the film itself sees a group of shipwrecked survivors who are found on Infant Island, which had previously been used for nuclear testing and believed that they were protected from the radiation by a juice given to them by the local natives. It's about a return expedition to the island. And it's here that the expedition leader Nelson, here played by Jerry Ito, finds a pair of foot-high twins who he then proceeds to kidnap with plans of putting them in a vaudeville show, unaware that their singing is actually a cry for help to Mothra the gigantic moth worshipped by the natives. Now, Mothra, before I saw this film originally, um, I always thought it was kind of like a lower tier sort of uh, presence within the Godzilla universe. But at the same time, we've got to consider the fact that Mothra is ranked up there with the likes of Godzilla and King Ghidorah as one of the top monsters over in Japan, especially resonating with female viewers and who really like uh, the character and she is also one of the few female monsters within the kaiju universe and certainly when we look at this film it's really sort of a, a credit that she's given um, a director like Honda to sort of direct this sort of standalone film is here we have a director who really knows how to shoot kaiju movies we got the use of low angled shots we know that everything is going to be shot so that it's got a, si a sense of like scale and size to it it's not just the fact that you've got actors running in front of a blue screen while we've got some wonderful sort of puppeteer work happening in the background and certainly he manages to somehow make a giant moth seem actually threatening, which is something that you never think they would uh, happen. I mean, after all, those familiar with the Godzilla universe, we know that Mothra, outside of her moth form in uh, sort of level saying she's basically armed with just spraying silly string at monsters, which is apparently very effective in the Kaiju universe. But I mean, Stephen, I'm, this was the first time I watched yourself. Is that right? 
Yeah, it, it it was. My only exposure to Mothra before, I'm... Well, I can think of two other occasions. So, um, she's in Destroy All Monsters, I think. Yes. But not very much, and certainly not in moth form. And I want to say she was in, at least briefly, in Final Wars. Yep. Um, but I've never never sort of seen a, a, a Mothra film up front and and, and proud. Um, and, yeah, it was really, really good. <laughs> um, it, it, it was way more serious in a good way. Yeah than I was expecting it to be. And also you talked about, you know, the, the filming of the monster, you, you know, the, there's this giant caterpillary larvae thing and, 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 and then the monster, you know, in terms of scale and size. I mean, I think some of the model work, there was a section in the film, which wasn't so good, but actually the, the monster stuff was great and probably helped because it wasn't a guy. Well, I, I know bits of it was a guy in a suit, but you know what I mean? It was. It didn't look like someone walking around in a rubber suit. But also there was the miniature work as well, which I thought was really well done. Sort of a, I don't know how they do it in those days. I don't, I don't know if green screen was a thing. I guess it was, um, oh, like the old Doctor Who sort of special effects done um, with, with with video or something. But um, the, the, the tiny little... Um, the tiny beauties. <laughs> um, I, th- I thought I thought that was really done. Now, occasionally, we saw them that they were dolls when they were passing them around. But you know, this is 1961. This isn't long art, you know. And this is this is uh, it's in colour. Um, and I always sort of maintain the original Godzilla looks great because it's in black and white, um, and so it carries more heft and a sense of realism. But I thought I thought lots of this was absolutely fantastic and really stood up all these years later yeah I, I, and, and then there'll be other things i want to talk about but let, let, let's go back to you for a second because i don't want to make this a giant speech <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you obviously said already the mean the fact that uh, we get to see got mothra both here in in lava form which is obviously the giant caterpillar which we saw in destroy monsters and we get to see her in her moth form and it's kind of funny, I mean, the fact that this was the first, obviously, introduction to Mothra and that uh, she would be pitted up against Godzilla in uh, 92's Godzilla versus Mothra, which was released in the States as Godzilla versus The Thing, uh, with the memorable poster that said had like a white box over the uh, go- monster gods that's fighting it saying that this creature is too hideous for for audiences to see like real william castle sort of hokey sort of showmanship so i can only imagine that american audiences going into seeing godzilla versus the thing were all perhaps a little disappointed when the fact they're faced with a giant moth yeah i mean he does he doesn't he does also of course mothra itself you know that's just um wouldn't mean anything to the japanese that's a that's a that's a a word that's um it's a borrowed english phrase that's just how they say moth <laughs> and so the mothra what does that mean mothra mothra what does that mean and to us i think what well, means moth doesn't it mate but of course that wouldn't be their word so, but yes to the americans i guess if you say godzilla versus mothra it would just be obvious but i think what intrigued me more than anything is that it it's embedded in the time so like when we talk about the original godzilla we talk a lot about you know it's about japan's reaction to nuclear weaponry and stuff like that and mothra 
is similarly embedded into into the, the politics and feelings at the time. So um, I had to go to look this up because I thought, is this a real country? Because uh, the, the 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 fella, the, the the guy with the English name, but he's clearly Japanese American, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, they, where do they come from? Sort of like Rosilla or something like that, which is yeah. apparently a, a, an anagram, or not an anagram, but a, a combination of the USA, Russia. And it's really, it's criticising what Russia and the USA were doing with their nuclear tests in and around Japan at the time. And um, encroaching, on, and also there's sort of the Russians encroaching on uh, some Japanese territory. So and I believe it's it's based on a novel or something like that that they took and they they they, they changed to 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 be this film. Yeah, but yeah. It's got it's got it's got quite a it's got quite a political statement to make, which makes it somewhat more weighty than you might think a film about two little twin fairies and a giant monster moth <laughs> might be. It's very much so. I mean, this is a film. I mean, it's. It um, reminded me a lot of um, Creature from 10,000 Fathoms in that uh, you have a monster that sort of rises from the deep to rescue its kidnapped young uh, going through, going on its uh, rampage of the city and basically very, very much mirrored the plot of this film. Here we have the two beauties, the peanuts, who are kidnapped by uh, this evil explorer who's determined to like profit from their size and put them in some garish vaudeville act and Mothra basically goes on a city wrecking rampage to get them back so it's while it's a monster movie I mean it's one of those rare occasions where a monster being portrayed in a heroic sort of slant which really until we sort of get into the later sort of period of the shower era really wasn't seen I mean Godzilla when he's first introduced is obviously this sort of evil force of nature I mean he goes on his rampage through Japan and even when he goes to the race again he's more sort of that Darwinism sort of fighting for resources when he's battling Anglus he's like he's not defect defending Japan against Anglus he's just battling Anglus because Anglus has moved in on his turf um, so here it's actually kind of unusual to see the fact that we've got Mothra being played in this sort of heroic sort of light so to speak um, oh no Although she does kill a lot of people, <laughs> I didn't say it was and, a it was great at the and, heroic side, and, but... and, and, and at the end they're also like cheering and waving her bye bye. It's like she must have killed tens of thousands of people in Tokyo and in the other place. You know, it's 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 um it is a bit odd that, but uh, it, but it's about the message of the film, isn't it? I think it it it's trying to it's trying to say don't um don't rape and pillage the natural world and we've all got to live together and it's quite a quite a 60s sort of right on message isn't it but um it's it's really not it's really nice to see that it's got more going to it than just a rampaging monster or silliness there's lots of silliness in it and there's some stuff which doesn't hold up today in it um i think was it the king kong versus Godzilla that we saw the blackface in before. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the problem, yeah. The, yeah, this, this is... Um, this has got that in spades. <laughs> the, this is something that you only really sort of notice later in life, because certainly when you're growing up in this movie, you don't realise the fact that you've got a lot of Japanese actors wearing brown face uh, to play Islanders. And yes, I mean, this is... a. Uh, again, the problem when we get onto the... Light, whenever we visit sort of like native uh, infant island that we have uh, have these actors and I don't know it's it doesn't feel as 
offensive as like Mickey Rooney playing um, an Asian landlord in um, Breakfast at Tiffany's because it doesn't feel like anyone's playing a stereotype. It's just the fact that they've got no black actors over there, so the fact they have to black up a, a, a bunch of Japanese extras instead. Or, or, or they didn't have to at all because it was a Polynesian island. <laughs> 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 they could have just been Asian. They made a big point about that. <laughs> oh, because the guy there's a there's a whole there's a whole range of characters as well. I mean, <clears throat> I tell I tell you. So, so just go back first. Something that did make a lot more sense to me from watching this film is it's Shin Godzilla, bizarrely, because um, in Shin Godzilla, which was the sort of the recent reboot, I say recent, it's a couple of years old now, isn't it? Um, what they do with the monster there is is that sort of the, the the Godzilla character sort of evolves over the first half of the movie, and now I realise that fish-looking sort of snaky version quite early on, it's Mothra, isn't it? It's, it's it is it is it is taking that, and so that that gave me some depth there. But you know, Mothra doesn't appear in this film till fifty minutes in. Um maybe even more it's an hour and 40 long um but i didn't care there was so much story and character work going on yeah. you know we met we met the evil nelson but we also met the um uh the 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 guy um oh god what is he the the news reporter okay who was who was a charming affable lead i think um and his friendly sidekick photographer lady and there was this guy <laughs> a whole bit to i don't understand the guy wouldn't show his face to start with who's apparently a genius at language who could um who could decode an entire language both from some hieroglyphics <laughs> and understand the the little fairy women <laughs> who was speaking in some electronic noise? <laughs> ah, you're saying you're saying you you don't want any more nuclear weapons to come to this island. Don't worry, we won't do that. It's like what? <laughs> and then they and then they forgot they could understand it, and they learned to speak English later on. But uh, yeah, but I mean, it doesn't. I mean, how much more believable was that than like watching uh, watching the actors play Pictionary like we saw uh, with Arrival? Where oh god, yeah. Where yeah, they're supposed yeah. to be like f- creating this language, and all I'm seeing is just a bunch of actors playing Pictionary with a swirling mass behind a, behind a screen door. You, you you swallow a fair bit of disbelief, but the, the the point was there's there's some there's 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 some good character. You know, there's there's the guy that runs the newsroom that's the boss of 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 the two um, journalists. There's you know there's, there's there's the young kids which aren't annoying. And <laughs> you know, and 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 while some of it doesn't make any sense, like catching the mouse and things like that, that that they do, it just sort of builds up a relationship, and and suddenly this bunch of disparate characters who didn't know each other who are working together, you kind of understand how they've built up that relationship. There's there's enough going on there, and then you know when Moth returns up, I understand why they're working together because they're working through a shared experience. <laughs> And uh, you don't often see that. Often it's just like faceless people in rooms, isn't it? Shouting at each other in these films. Maybe one lead guy. Um, I just I just felt it was quite a nice ensemble, um, which to me felt very different to any other kaiju film I've seen before. You're not going to tell me, oh, that happens all the time. But <laughs> it felt it felt very different to me. I, mean, I wouldn't say it happens all the time. Certainly, you have the 
the idea of uh, different groups being brought together by shared experience. I mean, we certainly see this see this time and time again throughout the throughout Kaiju cinema. Really, the fact that you uh, have unlikely groups being being brought together. And I mean, certainly with these films, you also don't. Everyone seems to sort of have a purpose. So you have, unlike when we like American films, where you have like the three or four lead actors and everyone else in the background, sort of like just extras who are busy, like, pretending to do things. Uh, with these films, you often get to know each of these characters. And I mean, even, like, when we have, like, the Genesis uh, Sanchiro, who's got, who's just really just there for comedic effect, but somehow they manage to... It's done to the point where it's never irritating. And yet, you have all these different elements being thrown around the screen, and somehow it all sort of comes together, and everything sort of works, and everyone, despite their different... Uh, the the different sort of contributions to it all sort of come together, which is always kind of fun to see. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it is kind of stupid when you look at this destroyed city and everyone's just waving Mothra off because she's got her uh, her peanuts back. <laughs> yeah, but and even that, even that, that should be ridiculous, right? <laughs> there's there's no explanation for what these little fairy girls are there's the, nothing's really there's a lot of stuff that's suggested yeah that, you know the moth or the girls that have cleared all the radiation from the island with the tests there's these there's, there's this weird thing where the, the this this third nation or this the, the secondary nation that they've made up is keeping it secret that there's people there and there's you know and there's a real weird it sounds like it's a bit of a conspiracy by this this other government, but then also Nelson does seem to be a bit of a a guy on his own that just does his own thing and's just in it for the for a fast buck, which doesn't quite tally with this conspiracy idea. But all this stuff, all this stuff isn't really explained. It's all thrown out there on the screen. But it, I wasn't bothered by it at all. I was compelled by it. It was charming, and but not in a not in a campy way. <laughs> If that makes sense, it sounds incredibly campy, but I was actually I was actually charmed by the whole concept, even though not a jot of it made any sense. Yeah, certainly so. I mean, this is again a real sort of trademark of uh, of Hondra in the fact that when we look at the original Godzilla movie, it is a very sort of sober monster movie, and the fact that you got like the shots of the field hospital and stuff, and it's very much what he brings to Mothra here. Certainly, the film doesn't go as dark as the original Godzilla does. And instead, it's sort of more of a traditional sort of monster on the rampage movie, much like Gorgo, which was also released incidentally the same year as this film. And funny how their plots also mirror up, um, as we mentioned already, the fact that uh, here you've got the the monster on the rampage looking for its young. And you would have thought over the years that we perhaps would have learned not to take monsters or dinosaurs or anything from its native land and try and put it on Broadway because it's only going to end badly I mean you would have thought after Kong's rampage that people would have got the idea that this isn't a good thing to do you know <laughs> I don't want to talk about Kong, Mighty Joe Young, any of these films it's, yeah exactly it's sort of like um, I mean Kong Kong say is the first example of a monster being brought back into a, a populated Sort of city, and from them, as you said, we see it time and time again. You, you said already, you've got uh, Mike Joe Young, you've got Valio Gwangi, you've got uh, Dinosaurus, and Jurassic Park 2. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which, which is possibly the worst example. I mean, that is the example. <laughs> Haven't you bloody learned anything? Why would you do this? <laughs> so, 
it it just never makes any any sort of sense. It's all like we've got an island, so why don't we build the theme park or whatever we want to do on the island instead of trying to yeah. bring it back to bring it to the people where it can go to go on a rampage and like have a larger area to escape to. Yeah, keep it in it. Just leave it. Leave it be. You know, just take some photos. I haven't. There's a lot of animals in this world I haven't seen. I will live without seeing them in the flesh. You know, <laughs> send me send me a photo. I'll be happy. Um, it's like the kiwi. Uh, Most New Zealanders haven't ever seen a kiwi, despite it mm. being their uh, national bird. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's a nocturnal bird. You know. You're... It just—I mean—we're the same here. How many badgers have you seen, mate? How many? How many um, koi poos have you seen that live in Norfolk? None. So it's um, yeah, it's 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 weird, but it's just um, just all these, all, yeah, just all these all these weird little components in a film somehow just linked together. And I can see what I can see why people hold sort of the Mosfer movies in such. With for such deep affection, actually. If if the, if the others are anything like this, I mean, certainly with Mothra has got that distinction of having her own series with the Rebirth trilogy, which uh, came out during the millennial period of Godzilla. Uh, she's made numerous appearances within the Godzilla universe, and more recently in Godzilla King of the Monsters, she was re- brought uh, back for her first appearance within the American Godzilla system. So, indeed, she was. Um, yes. So. She's just uh, time and time again. I mean, she's one of the ancient guardians of Earth. Uh, she is obviously this character, character which represents sort of like nature and nurture. And uh, whereas, obviously, when you compare it to like Godzilla, who's just about sort of destruction, <laughs> it's uh, it real sort of brings a interesting comparison when we look at like how Godzilla destroys Tokyo and we compare it to how Mothra destroys Tokyo, and it's sort of more sort of collateral sort of damage more sort of coincidental the fact that you know she causes these huge gusts of wind because her wings are so big mm. um she went in sort of like the lava form uh before she cocoons herself on the tokyo tower yeah the poor tokyo tower takes a freaking battering in all these films doesn't it <laughs> um so yeah it's it's just she's with the as i said with the when she's in lava form, it's just basically apparently she can only head in a straight line, which is bad news if you're a cruise ship who apparently was captained by the same person who drove the Titanic, because apparently you can't see this giant caterpillar <laughs> coming towards yeah, them. Yeah, that's like, that's like the people on the ship at the beginning of the film who didn't know that there was a freaking typhoon coming. <laughs> and, and then and then suddenly, oh, and we're right next to a radiation island. So you're thinking... <laughs> You 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 guys you guys probably deserve to die because you shouldn't be out sailing giant ships if you don't got to do the weather or read a map <coughs> we're in trouble. So so yeah, it certainly has has that uh, part going for it. Um, in terms of obviously the background sort of for the f- the film, I mean here we've got uh, Ita Tessabura once again handling special effects duty. I mean the man is unquestionably a legend within the Kaiju universe. I mean, he did Ultraman, he did Ultra Q. Um, he sort of paved, paved the way for how these films are made. I mean, with his with his uh, suit effects, I mean, he... the When you look at how the Godzilla films and basically led into, like, the... Um, 
the likes of Kamen Rider and Power Rangers and basically everything that, that sort of followed in it, its wake. I mean, it really wouldn't be the case if he if it wasn't done for his work. And I mean, again, screenwriter uh, Sinchi um, Sikawara here worked on the, the screenplay, um, drawing inspiration not only from Godzilla, but also King Kong. So those sort of uh, nods are pretty obvious here. And he would go on to write more more Godzilla movies. He would work on Ultraman and really become a sort of mainstay within that within the sort of kaiju universe so definitely another important uh name even if he's not considered one of the godzilla godfathers the film itself you can watch the japanese version which uh runs about 10 minutes longer than the american version though for myself there's not anything particularly major missing in the american version it's actually one of the good um american imports that uh that they did it was actually shown a double bill with the three stooges in space that classic apparently that no one ever remembers uh, I, I can honestly say I've never watched a Three Stooges movie but I'm aware of their work <laughs> once you've seen one you pretty much got the gist yeah I'm, I'm, I assumed <laughs> I assumed it's it's. I don't know I always found Three Stooges to be that sort of lower tier I mean you've got the likes of Chaplin, Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton and then you had like the Three Stooges who were sort of like just below the Marx Brothers. I mean, the Marx Brothers at least had some wit with like Gracho's sort of remarks and things. And then you had like the Three Stooges just was basically sort of slapstick without the flow of Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, and, and Abbott and Costello, that's the, other, that's the other pair in that sort of, that vaudeville kind of clowning around um which, if you're in the right mood, is hilarious. But I don't, uh, from my understanding, the Three Stooges isn't as clever as Buster Keaton, for example, which is art rather than entertainment. Certainly. Or as well as entertainment. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with those films, I mean, you've got to remember this is a time where there is no stuntman, it's just physical acting. As they mm. referred to it as, which always amused me greatly. And I was sure, I still maintain there's there's got to be a great book written about the golden age of stunt work. When, uh, just look how they did some of these films. Like when you look at the side of the house dropping. And or when we like look at the general where he's on the front of the oh. front of the train. I mean, this is a real train. They crash at the climax of that film. And he's picking up railroad girders to throw them in front of the train. I mean, it's all actually happening. This is a real, real girders being thrown on front of a real train. So Absolutely. And, and, and of course, you know, bringing it back to, you know, what we... Uh what we love i mean that jack jackie chan they made a career out resurrecting that um very much inspired by by people like Keith keaton and lloyd um into the point where he tried to recreate one of the famous stunts didn't he the, the clock tower thing yes indeed uh, that would be a howard lloyd's uh, safety last indeed and then project a was it i think yes um yeah. a stunt which he basically yeah, he's, he took it. He took it three <laughs> times, and he basically got to the third take. He was like, "Just keep filming," and because I've eventually got to let go. And as you said, he <laughs> fell for three canopies and then landed on his head, which wasn't intentional. <laughs> Don't worry, cameras kept rolling. We'll stick it in the final credits. <laughs> and uh, Jackie Chan, obviously, been talking about putting his uh, injuries at the end because, in his own words, filmmaking is difficult. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Anyway, we've 
but, somehow gone there. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, let's, I mean, let's just... Again, we mentioned already, Mothra is a giant moth, or she's a giant caterpillar, depending on which stage she's at. She's also one of the few monsters where Mothra is really a representation of what she is, rather than any particular character, as she's been regenerated numerous times and been represented on occasion, and often by two Mothras in the larval form, as we've uh, as we've seen on seen on occasion, and. For my knowledge, I mean, only Godzilla can share this sort of credit of obviously passing on a heritage. I mean, we've seen Godzilla die and be resurrected thanks to uh, the baby Godzilla being around for us to sort of pass on the mantle each time. So when we've had like the likes of Godzilla vs. Destroy or Godzilla Final Wars, um, and even the end of the original Gojira, because let's face it, I mean, he dies at the end of the original Godzilla, but uh, he's obviously resurrected by the for the second film so um as i said for some reason Mothra we passes on that mantle from time to time and uh it's never sort of like a raised as sort of like any query much like the fact we often forget that godzilla is not the same godzilla uh that's been through all the films so no and and um so Mothra <laughs> also I'm pretty certain someone at Nintendo's in this film because the, the giant egg on top of the hill it's his links awakening man <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you know we we, we see um uh, we see Mothra uh, emerge from an egg um after after the little girlies are taken away and and the sort of the natives encourage the um the birth of Mothra which kind of makes you think there are multiple there have been. I mean, it's also a chicken's egg, but or a giant one, not a not a not a moth egg, <laughs> which would look quite different. Um, but um, but forgetting that, yeah, it does give you the sense that this is some a, char- a character which has multi, you know has birth and death, and um, is 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 not magicked out of nowhere. And maybe there are other mothras around <laughs> that are making baby mothras. I don't know. <laughs> I hear what you're saying about you know a character that is definitely resurrected and definitely appears in different states in different movies. So maybe it should be a Mothra's. Yeah, um, we you mentioned mentioned earlier in this episode the fact that the actual origins of both Mothra and the the fairies or the peanuts, whatever you want to call them, is never explored. And in the original script, they were going to talk about they were actually going to include it but due to pacing issues they actually cut that out of out of the film so but I don't, but I don't think it's hurt by that no I think you can work I think you can work out what's going on without a huge amount of basil exposition going on yeah there's there's enough dots that are joined and you can work it out by what characters do and and sort of and how they act that we can quite happily build up our own mythology of what has happened here. And I think the film's stronger for that. If they'd spent 10 minutes explaining it dryly, which quite often happens in some things, um, I think that would be an turn-off. You know, this film's an hour and 40 long, and I watched it from beginning to end, without a break, and although there's some ridiculous stuff in it, <laughs> I enjoyed it and didn't sit there and go, oh my God, this is ridiculous, or I didn't, you know, mystery science theatre 3000 it um, i've done a bit of it tonight because that's what i do but 
whilst watching it i was not turned off or i didn't say oh for god's sake <laughs> this it's um it's quite a mature piece of filmmaking i thought i'm glad that you uh you enjoyed it i mean it certainly shows the character in a very different sort of light i mean certainly if we were to include the original mythology behind like the creation of the fairies i mean it's Originally, the mythology was going to have these like Christian-like overtones, and have where you have two gods. Uh, you've got Ajima, the male god of eternal night, and Ajiko, the goddess of daylight. They conceive a giant glowing egg and a smaller eggs, and a pair of humans who reduce and repopulate the island. The smaller eggs hatch into caterpillars, which turn into moths and fly away, which enrages Ijima to condemn all living things to death and commit suicide by tearing himself apart into four pieces. Heartbroken, Ajiko also commits suicide by tearing her body into four pieces, which turn into four small immortal fairies dedicated to serving Mothra of the giant glowing egg. Now, thank you, Wikipedia, for that uh, sort of breakdown. But how the hell do you include that in this film without it being coming overly serious or just dry? And it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter <laughs> it fundamentally at all. doesn't matter. The, the point is that the modern world encroaches on the ancient world. They thieve stuff from it and they suffer the consequences. That's the same as the mummy that's the same as 15 other films that we can talk about um and 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 we don't need to be steeped in some made-up law to 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 grasp it i mean we question what the hell's going on but it doesn't matter and and you know and and it's done in such a charming way i mean it's it's ridiculous (laughs) it's it's fundamentally ridiculous but it's just it's just charming and i i dug it i'm just uh as i said i'm glad that you enjoyed it and as always with these uh these kaiju movies i like to think that slowly spring you over to the dark side every time that we do one of these it's hey look i've i've enjoyed i've enjoyed them all for their merits um and and you know, from from the the King Kong versus Godzilla we saw and destroyed. Well, we, no, we saw Godzilla raids. Um, that's Godzilla, right. That's King Kong escapes. Um, yeah, I have seen them both. But with, yes. um, um, let's not forget where King the Toho King Kong is hypnotized by Disco, and uh, gets to yeah. battle Mechanic Kong again on the Tokyo Tower. Yeah, the Tokyo. I was thinking the Tokyo Tower. I mean, obviously, I love the original Godzilla, but I enjoyed Destroyer Monsters, even though I didn't know who half the characters were. Um, yeah, so every everything you've brought to the table, and obviously, I like the camera. <laughs> you haven't quite brought me over to the dark side. <laughs> Not yet. Isn't it? This this felt more gamma esque, or, or that that sort of. Although the Millennium ga- Gamera films, the ones that I like, um, they they they. they it felt more akin to that where you've got this this protector character that is protecting the earth um despite humans wanting to screw it all up yeah so that may, maybe that's why i enjoyed this because I, I i like that idea of the giant monsters as as protectors of the human race even though we don't deserve it yeah plus i mean much like gamma versus baragon from 66 i mean this is also featured in an island that's populated only by blacked up japanese actors Clearly, clearly, there must be islands full of this. They can't, they can't, can't, can't be in bad taste. Or well, we we, we both know why exactly it is. It's so they, they they don't have a very, they still don't have a very mixed society. Yeah. So uh, well, so I mean, the, it's not only that, but they're also 
there to provide the soundtrack by banging together rocks that they constantly carry around with them. So, and they weren't just Japanese people; there were there were Westerners. The film, the film, this film's subtly full of quite a few Westerners. And ironically, Nelson is meant to be a Westerner, <laughs> but he's played by a man who's clearly Japanese-looking, if not Japanese. Um, and by all accounts, his Japanese is horrible. <laughs> But but we can't tell. <laughs> but it was all, all that all that it was because the because the actor himself couldn't actually speak Japanese very well because um, he'd only learnt it for six months. But it's almost by design to show that he is a foreigner. But of course, to you and me, he just is a bit pantomime, isn't he? But that, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't know that there was anything more going on. Yeah, um, certainly the the original ending would have seen Mothra fall into a volcano, which seems to be a, a reoccurring theme move in these sort of 60s uh, kaiju movies, the fact that monsters often ended up going into volcanoes. The same happened to Rodan. We see it happen in um, it's one of the early uh, Gamera movies as well, that uh, he drags his defeated, uh, d- defeated opponent into a volcano. So it seems to be like the, the best way to well, destroy how else? How else do you get rid of a sixty-foot-tall, hundred-foot-tall reptile or moth? Even um, you know, you, the, the, <laughs> Mothra the, is the only way I can think to do it. I mean, yeah, I know. All this time, nobody thought just to like build a giant candle and a giant <laughs> rolled-up newspaper. <laughs> yeah, that's all you needed to defeat Mothra. It's <laughs> just play dirty. Just to just erect a. Just 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 erect a giant light bulb somewhere in um somewhere in the in the Pacific. Yeah. It's like, Ow. <laughs> just let her fly around till she tires and dies. <laughs> but I like Mothra. I can I can I mean I, I don't really understand why it's popular with the ladies compared to uh, the others. I didn't um I didn't see it as particularly gentle, but it's, um well as such he's he's nurturing and nature these are themes that apparently resonate and i've i thought it was just just like um a thing for for japanese um audiences but apparently there's a lot of western female fans over here who really resonate with the character mothra and i said well what what's so appealing about a moth that sprays giant silly string and they're like that's just it it's a moth that sprays silly string (laughs) i have to say most people, most women I've met, if a moth got in the house and started flapping around the light bulb, they wouldn't think it was very nice. So it must be the silly. We we'll have to have to, as I said, just show it to uh, show it to, to the kids and and get back to us on that one. Let's see. Over the Christmas break, it's like we just when you can say we come together and we we have a festive viewing of this moth for a movie, <laughs> and uh, you let us know your thoughts. I I I. I I think they'll really enjoy it. I think they will. I think um, I think you'd have to be a hard person if if you can get over the you know giant monster movie thing. You'd have to be a hard person not to enjoy Mothra. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, anything else that you want to sort of talk about this one? No. Okay. No, I think I think I I think I've gushed enough. So th- you know, I say this a lot, but thank you for bringing that one, and thank you to our um. Thank you to our audience for pushing us in this direction because uh, it's not a film that was really on my radar to watch, although it is a character I was aware of. So I'm, I'm glad I've got it under my um, under my belt now. Yes, thank you uh, again to everyone who uh, voted. Um, so this obviously brings us to the end of 
another edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. Thank you, as always, for listening. And uh, we hope uh, you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed bringing this year of podcasting to you. And uh, certainly hope you join us again in the new year for a brand new season. Uh, in the meantime, you can obviously check out our website, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com. On there, you can find our complete archive of episodes as well as uh, reviews and mixtapes and other fun pieces of writing on there as well you can follow us on Facebook we're on Twitter which is at AC Film Club we're also on Instagram as well uh, so you know down there, let us know what uh, films you've been excited about anything you think we should be checking out you know let us know your thoughts on the show and certainly wherever you happen to be listening to us be it on iTunes or Spotify or Podomatic or Castbox any of the platforms out there make sure you hit the like and subscribe buttons as it really does help raise the profile of the show much like leaving us a review just uh let us know what you think it uh it all helps raise the profile of the uh, show and certainly if you know anyone who likes asian cinema or you uh want to help us get the word out uh certainly please do we uh always love uh it when we hear new people discovering the show and uh Hopefully, we'll continue to pick things that resonate with uh, your listeners as we go into a new year of uh, of picks. And it's my turn to kick off a year, which is exciting. And we're going to be kicking off 2020 with Antique Bakery. So hopefully, uh, you can join us for that one. Stephen, um, anything you want to say before we go? Happy Christmas and Merry New Year. <laughs> <laughs> to, to you all um, and thank you for listening yes so hope you all have a fantastic kaiju christmas and a happy new year and uh, we will be back in 2020 working at antique bakery until next time though good night Kino no